Now, earlier this week, eyebrows were raised when a member of Dublin City Council proposed bringing home the body of James Joyce, who is currently buried in Zurich, but the idea is that he will be brought back to Ireland in time for the centenary <laughs> of the publication of Ulysses in 1922. And that scoff you can hear is from Donald Fallon, who reckons the idea might be uh, a little bit odd. Certainly the authorities in Zurich uh, have considered it to be a slightly uh, cold idea. Um, but is there merit to the idea? Well, the aforementioned Donald Fallon is, is here to discuss. Uh, afternoon, Donald. Good, good to, to be here. We've, we've, we've had moving statues, now we move on to moving bodies. Well, there we go. Uh, <laughs> before we talk about the circumstances of how uh, Joyce ended up in Zurich and his burial and this idea to, to repatriate his remains. Um, his funeral in 1941 was not something that was widely fated or celebrated, certainly within Irish circles. It wasn't, no. And when word arrived in Dublin in 1941 that James Joyce was dead, uh, the response you know, was kind of cold and detached from, from the government. And Joseph Walsh, very interesting figure kind of Irish diplomatic history. He was a, a senior figure in the Department of External Affairs and he telegrams over there, please wire details about Joyce's death. If possible, find out if he died a Catholic, question mark. Express sympathy with Miss Joyce and explain the inability to attend the funeral. Mm. So despite the Does fact it, that well, we're... Why, why is it of interest whether he died a Catholic? Because if they've already decided that they're not going to attend anyway, it yeah, doesn't matter well, what faith he has. I think they wanted the... the, the uh, the news, if you will, that Joyce, this blasphemous figure, had oh, turned yeah. on his deathbed. But you know, despite the fact that there were actually two quite senior Irish diplomats in Switzerland at the time, they didn't attend the funeral, and it was a very, very small affair. And Joyce is a curious one, you know, because he spent most of his writing life in exile, but kind of in his own curious way, he never left us. Unlike, say, someone like Samuel Beckett. Beckett goes to France, he's a courier in the French resistance during the war, and Beckett jokes during the war, you know, better France at war than Ireland at peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But while Joyce is gone, he continues to write about the one thing that he knew best, which was Ireland. So Ulysses is written in Paris, it's written in Zurich, it's written in really? Trieste. Really? So most of it was written long after he'd left the city it was written about? Astonishing. When you look at the level of detail of the city in that book, it's incredible to think it's written by a man who's essentially moving across the continent on a self-imposed exile. And since the time of his death, this question has been there, you know, whether his remains should be brought home. Uh, and at the time of his passing, these issues were raised. And what we have today is this really curious tale, uh, hostility to the idea in time passed from government and morbid sites. Yeah, so I suppose then if he was such a, a no-man, he had, his, as you described, this self-imposed uh, exile. He was in, in as much a European as an Irish. Yeah, and, and encountered encountered opposition right across the continent of Europe. And we should always be wary of kind of Irish exceptionalism. We like to present Ireland in the past as a particularly grey and dreary society. As Joyce travelled the continent of Europe and beyond, he encountered great controversy uh, everywhere he went. And some people recognised what he was doing as, as important. One voice described Ulysses as the re-entrance of Ireland into high European literature which is high praise indeed yeah. but you know for other people one conservative critic said the book was like an odyssey of the sewer and referred to it as literary Bolshevism whatever that means <laughs> right. so as Joyce was kind of wandering <laughs> around the continent of Europe he was encountering real opposition uh, everywhere he went Which, and the fact the fact of history is Ulysses was deeply controversial beyond this little well, island and indeed more so abroad than in Ireland because there is this myth and we've talked about it on this lot mm. before actually people have this presumption or, or this this popular myth that Ulysses was censored in Ireland when it was in fact not the case. Yeah, we looked at the Censorship Publications Board before. They banned an awful lot. They were very good at banning books, but they, they never banned that one. And in the 1920s... So what did they do then? What they were mostly interested in banning was stuff around kind of sexual education, sexual reproduction. So Marie Stopes, for example, her books are banned in Ireland okay. in the 1920s. And we eventually did move on to banning authors and we banned some great authors. Ten winners of the Nobel Prize for Literature, including Samuel Beckett, uh, Liam O'Flaherty, a brilliant Irish writer. But, you know, Ulysses, 
Tories, uh, for whatever reasons, escaped the censor uh, in Ireland. Yeah, wasn't there some some weird taxation treatment where they basically decided to make it prohibitively expensive so that it would exactly. never be sold in the other way? So he wasn't banned, but he was you couldn't somehow get it. officially shunned. Uh, it was also seized by customs officials uh, on either side yeah, of the it, Atlantic in England and in America. In the rest of the English-speaking world, things were different. I mean, the English-speaking world was more or less united for the first time by, by something which was opposition to Ulysses. <laughs> 500 copies were confiscated by the, the post office authorities in New York. Another 500 copies were sent to England and the English custom officials didn't do quite as well as the lads in New York. They got 499 copies yeah. of the 500. I the other one was just put in the British <laughs> Library though. I suspect yeah. one of them ran off with a copy. Yeah. Uh, but the Director of Public Prosecutions in the UK made it very, very clear that they put pressure on anyone who taught this book. So lecture, uh, lecturers were kind of fearful of putting the thing uh, on the curriculum. But most of these people who are getting upset about the book never read it. And the Australians were the exception to the, to the rule. I mean, they actually gave it a good read when it was brought to the attention of the authorities by a, a Catholic society. And the, the response with the, the authorities said it's most blasphemous, indecent and obscene, almost from cover to cover. So far as I'm aware, few books at present on the banned list contain matter of such an objectionable nature. Briefly, the subject of the book is the portrayal in intimate detail of the actions and thoughts of certain persons in Dublin on a particular day in June 1904. Mm. That's a brilliant synopsis yeah, yeah. Uh, of yeah. you. Yeah. So people Australians. go, well, it's a thousand pages, so what's it about? And he goes, well, it's the, the inner monologues of people who were walking around on a particular day on a in particular June. Day. The Australians yeah. nailed it. But the ice would melt eventually. In America, there was a brilliant court case, the, the United States versus one book called Ulysses. And if the that Amer- isn't the name of a HBO miniseries, Times the Future. Brilliant. And we'll excellent. make a great documentary. And the judge that day, Judge Wolsey, the American Constitution at its, at its very best, you know, he recognised the right of Americans to read whatever filth they want. And his conclusion was brilliant. He told the courthouse, in respect of the recovery, current emergence of the theme of sex in the minds of Joyce's characters it must always be remembered that his locale was Celtic and his season spring in other words <laughs> you know, don't blame James Joyce for being filthy he's an Irishman yeah, it's Grant just write it off Grant he's from over there they think differently over there um, all of what you've, you've described there talks about it as being blasphemous now I have to put my hands up and say I've only ever read the first third of Ulysses yeah. I read it before uh, going on a summer holiday and I brought the book on holiday with me presuming I'd get to read it left it there and, and I've never opened it again since and that was like 15 years ago um, but to my mind it, it's never really it might be perhaps a bit graphic or in some points a bit crude there's yeah. a scene about the you know, doing his business in the outhouse. But I don't think many would necessarily describe it as blasphemy. There's a lot of tension in Joyce's work about religion. You know, Ireland, my first and only love, where Christ and Caesar go hand in glove. He sees us as a land of hypocrites and he sees Catholicism, you know, as a veil that people often use to hide it. And, you know, Joyce's feelings on the church were very clear. In 1904, he writes to his wife, Nora, my mind rejects the whole present social order and Christianity. Home, the recognised virtues, classes of life and religious doctrines. Six years ago, I left the Catholic Church, hating it most fervently. I found it impossible for me to remain in it on account of the impulses of my nature. I made secret war upon it when I was a student and declined to accept the positions it offered me. Mm. By doing this, I made myself a beggar, but I retained uh, my pride. So, I mean, Joyce, in other words did enjoy challenging convention. He did enjoy annoying the bishops uh, and the priests. And it's not surprising that someone who feels that way towards organised religion and the Catholic Church in mm. particular attracts their scorn uh, on attention. Yeah. But by the 1920s, I'm sorry, by the late 1930s, I should say, okay. things were changing. You could only buy the book in Britain from about 1937. And in Dublin, some suggest it was even the 1950s before you could walk into a bookshop and say, can I have it? Um, then bring us then to the whole topic of how he ended up uh, being interned in Zurich and having his funeral in Zurich. How did he end 
end up going to be in Switzerland and then in Zurich in the first place? So we have this shunned writer on a global sense, this book that's been dragged through the courts and everything else and never makes a lot of money in Joyce's time. He's, he's broke. And the fact that he ends up in Zurich is wrapped up really in the much bigger picture of what was happening on the continent in the late 30s, early 40s. Sure, yeah. Joyce would refer to Germany as Hitlerland and was absolutely horrified by what happened in that country. And it's not surprising, really, that Ulysses made its way onto the bonfires uh, in Nazi Germany. Because when you think about the obsession that the Nazis developed with what they called degenerate art and degenerate work, here was as degenerate a book as you could ever hope to find. Mm. It's written in this modernist style. The traditional structure of a novel is nowhere. There's you know the constant presence of sexuality in the book and the prominence of a Jewish character. Yes. So if you yeah. wanted a book to burn in Nazi Germany, Ulysses was a pretty good place to start. And you know, for a writer like that, as as the Nazi you know presence creeped over the continent of Europe. I think Joyce felt it was time to go. I mean, Paul Leon, who was a very good friend of his, uh, and Samuel Beckett, this Russian Jew living in Paris, writer, very cultured man, full of life, great fun apparently. I mean, he just is ignoring what's happening around him until he's eventually picked up and sent off to Auschwitz. So when people close to you are being picked up by the fascists and deported, I think you get a sense that it's, it's probably time sure. uh, to go. Okay. And Joyce and the family, the kind of the part Nazi-occupied France uh, and make for Zurich. And I really feel for Nora Barnacle, she really lives in the shadow of James Joyce, but in recent years that's beginning to change. But this woman, you know, she follows him everywhere as a young man when he's a struggling writer with no money in his pockets. And now she finds herself once again kind of travelling uh, with James Joyce. So they make it to Zurich and they're barely there. I mean, his, his health deteriorates rapidly. He undergoes surgery in January 1941 for an ulcer, slips into a coma and dies a month short of his 59th birthday. Yes, I've forgotten how, how, just how young he died and how much work he might have produced had he been able to, to live on for a decade more. That's incredible. Um, I mean, Samuel Beckett seemed to live forever. You look at pictures of Samuel Beckett, these great colour photographs of him sitting outside coffee shops in Paris mm. in the late 1980s. Yeah, yeah. You know, by comparison, Joyce is a very young man yes, when he leaves this world. Yes, very young. Um, the funeral, as you mentioned, uh, was a small affair and no Irish representation, which I suppose in some Terrible. ways might be surprising because given all the time that it was in the, the 40s and, and the aftermath, being too neutral nations yeah. in the European stage one would have thought that there'd be a little bit more of a, of a relationship It would have been easy by comparison to say WB Yeats who died in, in France and Ireland has quite a good diplomatic network in Europe in the 30s and 40s we're kind of respected broker as the continent is at war so you've got these two senior Irish diplomats in the country and as we heard at the beginning I mean they write to Dublin and say what do we do and they're basically told not to go uh, to the funeral so this question arises you know should the state acknowledge this in any way and ultimately what they do is they, they send the writ but you know when word reaches Dublin as we heard earlier Diplomatically, I think it's fair to describe the response in Dublin as pretty cold. Now, something of a foreshadowing to the present discussion then about repatriating his remains is the fact that Nora Barnacle did actually want to have him brought home yeah, he's when he buried, died in the first place. He's buried in this tiny little grave, you know, just room for one coffin. And the intention of Nora Barnacle is basically to bring her home. And she pushes and pushes and pushes for this. And I imagine the poor woman must have felt very hurt because the Irish government bring Yates home in 1948 there's this big ceremony when Yates is brought back on a boat there's government representation mm. there's a piper a military guard all of that is, he probably, is Yates seen as a bit more establishment though he, because he had been in the Senate he'd been in the Senate he was a, a senator he was also quite conservative in his, in his political views you know he stood in contrast really to James Joyce mm. who was seen as this kind of anti-clerical writer in the eyes of many people still and poor old Nora survives her husband uh, by a decade all her attempts to bring him home ultimately failed and now she is buried in Zurich as is their son uh, along 
alongside him. So we have the aforementioned idea then that to mark the centenary of Ulysses being published, which is 1922, we now have this idea, which has been floated by uh, Labour Councillor Dermot Lacey, yeah. former Lord Mayor, a member of the, of the City Council still. Um, and there's been some dissenting views uh, both here and indeed back in Zurich. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting in Zurich, they're, they're kind of making the argument that James Joyce Foundation there are really, really hostile to this for various reasons. But interviewed by the, the journal.ie, the head of the Joyce Foundation in Zurich said, I think there would certainly be some resistance because after all, Joyce is one of the major tourist attractions that people come here to see. <laughs> yeah. Many people go to his grave so there will be an issue. It's quite interesting that this writer who was shunned and banned and dragged through the courts in his lifetime is now a, a contested tourist attraction. But, you know, Glasnevin Cemetery is, is so centrally important to the story within the pages of Ulysses. Perhaps there is a spot there uh, for him. Who knows? But what, this is a great debate that will go on and on and on. What do you think yourself? Does, does your mind tell you to, to leave Sleeping Dogs well alone or do you think that there will be <laughs> well, a nice romance ev- to, to close it all off? The evidence in the Department of Foreign Affairs file suggests that when we brought WB Yeats back from France we may have brought back the wrong remains. <laughs> and there's quite a compelling argument there that we may have buried a French farmer under a mountain in the west of Ireland. So if we got it wrong with Yeats perhaps we'll leave Joyce where he is. So what you're saying is that if we do it, just be very carefully that we are actually doing it. Just make sure it's him. Uh, A word of warning from Donald Fallon. Donald, as ever, thank you for that. Donald Fallon is a historian. as He's the author of the Come Here To Me blog and books, uh, volumes one and two of which are available in all good bookshops now.